It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Brett Davis uh, with Brett Davis Unleashed on IQ Podcast. Today, I have Christine Coria on my show. I'm, well, I'm coming to you from uh, Attorney King Studios in beautiful Coronado. Yeah, I, hope, I don't know, Christine, if you've ever been to Coronado, but it's a beautiful place oh, to be. Very beautiful. I'm uh, like a mile away from the Hotel Dell. Oh, nice. It's not a bad place to be. Wow. <laughs> Great so, place to <laughs> So we finally get a chance to chat. We've been trying for a handful of years, right? Yes. Isn't that amazing? It's taken a long time. <laughs> Sorry, it took so long. No, there's no, something no, going on. Everybody, <laughs> you have things going on. We have things going on. So you were uh, in law enforcement for how many years? Uh, 15 years. 15 years. Thank you for your service, by the way. Thank you. Our show supports every month. We have a law enforcement person in the month that we uh, honor. I don't know if you knew that or not. No, I didn't know that. We also do uh, doctors, nurses, citizens. Uh, we call that the everyday hero. That's awesome. To me, those are the real heroes, uh, not the movie stars and the, and the uh, athletes, but the people that every day are the foundation of our country. And I think um, they, are, they need to be you know, thanked for what they're doing. Thank you. I agree. Thank you for what you did and what you continue to do. And we're going to talk about some of that today. So you got into law enforcement uh, at a very early age, early 20s? Actually, I got into law enforcement since I was 14. I was an explorer, then a cadet, then a parking checker, then a water conservation officer, then a community service officer, then a college police officer, then a police officer. Wow. It's in your your DNA. Definitely. (laughs) You have family that were in, in law enforcement. Yes, my uncle and my father. My uncle, they both were for Santa Monica. My uncle died of, of cancer, so I never met him. And then sorry my father was killed. Thank you. I'm also very sorry about the loss of your father, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I, I don't even, I'm speechless because I can't even imagine how you're holding, how you've been able to hold yourself together with everything, including your own life. So you got into law enforcement, you became a Santa Monica police officer? Yes. And so tell us, Tell us what the best thing about that job was. I loved interacting with the people. I love being part of having a purpose to give back in some way or another. Um, having people come to me when they, whether for whatever reason, it could be anything. I mean, as a police officer, you wear so many hats. I mean, you could be, you can, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have any children. So, you know, being a police officer, I was able to interact with these kids and be like almost like a mentor for them or, you know, like a big sister to them. And I really enjoy that because, you know, especially in this day and age, if we don't take care of those kids now, they're going to be our problems in the future. Right. Um, and I really enjoyed that interaction. I enjoyed 
you know, making sure that if someone needed help, whether it's for domestic violence, they needed an answer, or, if, or someone needed to help with maybe even something minor, as minor as a parking problem, or maybe even some kind of situation that there, you know, there are landlords or something, like you can always find a solution for their problems. I miss that, and I really enjoyed being that the problem solver for them. Well, there's other ways I'm sure you're continuing to uh, reach out and help people, and maybe in a different way, but. Uh, you know, I think that there's a lot more to do still. So we'll talk about that also. Yes. So you ended up being a lot going into being a police officer for Santa Monica and then uh, you have an accident happen. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Um, well, I've had a few. <laughs> um, uh, first time on the job, I, I started in like 93, 94 at the college and the Santa Monica police. And then in 96, uh, there was an incident where I was a backup for another officer where I was a DUI driver. And she wasn't stopping. And finally, when we, we did stop her, we cornered her with our police cars. Um, I remember walking up to her car, telling her to roll and she had her foot on the brake. So she didn't put it in park or anything. She had her foot on the brake. She rolls down her window. As she does that, I put my hand in and I open the door. As soon as I opened the door, the other officers rushed in to grab her. Well, she had her seatbelt on. So she was unable to be pulled out. So at that point, she freaked out and she punched the acceleration, which then in turn pushed the door, pushed me in between both cars, the police car and her car. So now I was getting squished between the police car and her car. Uh, at that point, I was really trying to get myself above, you know, the, the well levels of the, the, the wheels. And I was getting pinned between my, my pelvic area and my knees. So my knees felt like they're going one way while my body was going the other way. Um, and at that point, I remember looking at her straight in her eyes and was ready to go for my gun. And when she saw that, she veered away from me. And when she veered away from me, I was able to throw myself on top of the police car and roll in front of the police car. They ended up taking off after her, um, there was a pursuit, and then she crashed, and then they finally caught her. Um, but luckily for me, I ended up having um, just not so, I mean, not too major of injuries, but I had a hematoma to my pelvic area, which was all black and blue. Um, my knees, I had a hairline fracture, um, kind of messed up my neck and my back a little bit. Um, but then shortly after, like a few months later, I was back to work because I was determined. I mean, I was a brand new officer. I was there only a few years. And I was like, nope, this is not going to get the best of me. And I went back to work. So that situation could have turned out a lot worse than it did have. Oh, yes. Easily. And, and I look back, I kind of thank God I didn't shoot her. I think if I would have shot her, that's it. I, I would have been squished. I mean, she wouldn't have had a chance to veer away from me. So everything happens for a reason. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And then you had something else happen a few, well, how many years after that? Uh, then a few years after that, I had an off-duty shooting and a shooting with a, a gang member who I was at a graduation party and it was in Culver City and it was just like literally a few blocks away from the police department. And as me and my best friend were, were driving away or ready to drive away, two of our friends who were in suits, like dressed up, not gangsters or anything, get approached by two gang members. And at that point I see this and I get out of my car and I walk over and I hear the guys pushing our friends saying, hey, where are you from? Where are you from? And our friends are like, we're not from anywhere. We're here for our graduation. And at that point, I remember walking up to the gang members saying, and I had my gun in my, my purse. So I had my hand in my purse just in case, ready for something to happen. And at that point, I tell these gang members they need to leave. And they look at me like, well, why don't you mind your own you know, business? You know, like with some cursing words and stuff. And I said, no, you guys need to mind your own business and you need to leave or I'm going to call, I go, I'm a police officer, or I'm going to call the officer down the street who are in uniform and have them take you guys away. You guys need to leave now. So at that point, the guy looks me up and down, wasn't sure if I was lying or not, and sees that my hand is in my purse. And at that point, looks at me and says, you know what? I don't give a F if you're a cop or not. Um, I'll come back with my gun and we'll see who's tougher. Kind of, you know, like some kind of crap like that. Sure. He takes off. 
my friends, I tell them take off. I go to the, um, back to my best friend. I said, we need to go to the front of the party. Let them know that these guys might come back. So as I'm on the phone with the COVID department to let the, them know what's happening, my friend and I stop at the front of the party and uh, um, she happens to take the keys out of the ignition. She's not a cop. So she did what she was doing. She just kind of thought we were going to have the car. At that point, I'm on the phone. She yells, the guy's coming back. He's now running across the street with his hand under his Pendleton. I mean, at that point, I probably had, would have had, you know, I mean, I could have probably shot him because he said he was coming back with a gun, but I was the kind of person like, I needed to see the gun before I shoot somebody. I can't just shoot him at all of a sudden it's like comb under there or, you know, something else. So at that point, next when I tell the police, he's coming back. I tell her to get us out of there. She's trying to put the keys in the ignition. She's now shaking. I'm like, forget it. I jump out of the car. I draw down on him. He won't stop. At that point, he runs right past me. And at that point now, he's running uh, towards the direction where the guys were at before. So now I'm running after him, not to catch him, but to keep my eye on him. And as I'm running, I'm in hills. I didn't realize my best friend, who was not a cop, first spray until later on when she tells me. So as we're running, I turn a corner, turn another corner. And once I get to this one corner where there's a bank, there's a big parking lot. I remember having this really bad feeling. And I stop and I peek out and I see him. And he's holding the gun. He's pointing to my, my direction. At that point, I yell gun. I don't know. I think it's a police thing. And uh, next thing you know, he shoots, I shoot. And I had a little five round revolver. Um, you know, he was kind of far. So I thought I hit him, but I guess I didn't. He ends up taking off. I remember thinking, I don't have any more rounds. I, I'm not running after this guy, you know? And at that point, the police show up. And when they show up, the guy, I guess, didn't realize the police were going to be, be showing up. He comes back. They see him. They chase him. And they catch him. Um, and they end up arresting him. And luckily, no one got hurt that day. But my sister had just left that party too. So that was a big, big thing because it, it hit her the next day. She's like, wow, that would have been the last time I saw you. And, right. you know, you don't realize those things until you start talking to your family and it hits home. Um, but luckily no one got hurt that day. I think you have a, uh, an angel watching over you. I think so too. <laughs> I think it might be your father. Oh, I, I think so. It's, uh, you know, it's really weird. Um, there was a dream I had when I first started on the job. And it was the weirdest dream because I never get really vivid, vivid dreams. And this one was I was shot on the Santa Monica Pier. And my mom and my, my best friend can vouch for me. Um, I remember in my dream, it was a domestic violence situation. It was right behind the arcade later on in real life. Um, and all of a sudden, this guy, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with him. First, his hand had a comb in it. Then it became a knife and then it became a gun. And in, in the dream, he shoots off half my head, like off my face or whatever. Wow. And I remember going in a gurney and I remember crying, going, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I remember hearing my father's voice saying, it's not your time. Don't worry. It's not your time. And I remember waking up crying, hysterical. Like, I was like, oh my God. And my next fiance I was with was like, just go back to sleep. And I was like, I, he, damn, what I just went through. So I call my mom and my best friend the next day and I tell them what happened. They're like, you know, maybe it's just your dad trying to warn you. Just, you know, just be cautious. Well, years later, and, and this is what we're going to get to um, on 4th of July of 2000, I end up having a shooting on the Santa Monica Pier. And the same, you know, like same location is on the Santa Monica Pier behind the arcade, but it was a totally different situation because it wasn't a domestic violence situation anymore. This was now a hostage situation where a guy was wanted for murder. And there, there was a shooting and... All I remember is me and my, my partner were running through the crowd and we're trying to find out where this guy is shooting from. And I could hear the bullets whizzing by me. And next thing you know, I feel something hit my arm. And at that point, it fractures my humerus and shatters my radius. And I realistically, in my mind, kept thinking, oh, it's just a graze, no big deal. Until my partner says, no, Christina, you've been hit. And my arm's just hanging. And at that point, we end up rushing, getting out of there. 
Um, the guy's still shooting, um, and two other officers get shot. Um, I end up jumping in the back of a police car with another officer, and they rush me over to UCLA. And UCLA wasn't even ready for us when we walk out. Um, and what's weird is I don't remember seeing blood at all. I don't, I think it was just the shock factor. Um, all I remember is getting out of the police car and seeing my cousin, who's a candy striper, and saying, wow, you look really pale. And at that point, I pass out. I guess it wasn't her that was pale, it was me that I was losing all the blood. Um, they rushed me in. I remember I didn't cry because I th kept thinking, I don't want my mom to worry because she already had the door knocks a few times. Uh -huh. um, and I you know, wanted to make sure that when she gets to the hospital that she could see that I'm okay, that I'm going to be fine. And I remember waiting and, and all of a sudden being taken into uh, to surgery. And when my mom, I guess the doctor had told my mom they were going to take my arm because it was so bad. I'd lost so much blood. And my mom luckily told them, no, please try to save it. And when I woke up after a few hours, like 13 hours later, um, I had my arm, but it was partially paralyzed, so I couldn't open it. Um, the doctor said there was no way I was going back to work, no way I was going to use my arm again. And um, I was in the hospital for a week, and I remember getting out and thinking, wow, okay, this is not how I want to leave my job. This is not wanna, how I want to live my life. And I went to a second opinion. Um, they told me the same thing. I said, no, it's not going to happen. And I was determined, and I was... Uh, optimistic and I was at the gym twice a day I was like even at two three in the morning I was at the gym with this freaking chaption that looked like Freddy Krueger <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's pretty awful looking I swear um, and I was determined I was running I was um, massaging it I was doing acupuncture I was doing a little bit of everything and within a year and a month later I was back to um, back to work full-time wow. the only thing I can't do is I can't rotate my wrist all the way like supinator pronate and I can't touch my shoulder which arm which which hand is my left one that one? My humerus and shattered my radius. Show us, show us the difference in the, in the rotation. Oh. Okay, so I can't do that. Okay, I see it. That's yeah. as far as you can go? That's as far as I can go. You got a scar? Yeah. That's all. Very light. Yeah, well, my doctor actually did a good job. He's like, well, she's a female. She's probably going to want her, her scar right. hidden. So he's pretty right. awesome. Yeah. What, an, what a miracle. Yes. So, so. you when did, when did you retire? Um, well, so then I, I went back to work. So I was in 2000, 2001, I went back to work. I was there for a few more years, um, had a few, two more surgeries and then was back to work full time again. And then in 2006, I was asked to be on Survivor, not by choice. It was a friend of mine who was a casting director. Uh -huh. who, um, she asked me if I wanted to do it. I said, no, I'm good. And she's like, no, you have a great story. You'd be great for the show. Sure. And I kept really trying to get out of it. Cause I really never watched the show. And I, I, mean, I saw a few things here and there, but um, I said, you know, my chief's going to say no. She's like, well, ask him. So I'm really thinking my chief's going to I ask him about it. He's like, you know, hey, it's great PR. You can win a million dollars. You should try it. So I'm thinking, well, okay, fine. And now I have no way of getting out. So at that point, I go on Survivor. I'm thinking, oh, it's just a TV show. They'll give you a snicker bar. You know, how bad can it be? You have makeup. You, have, you know, like, it's a TV show. Right. You know, uh, it was a rude awakening. It was definitely um, reality. You starve. Whatever you find, you're going to eat. That's what you're going to eat. Um, there's no makeup, so you don't look good. I don't know how those girls look great on Survivor, because I did not look great. Oh, you're um, yourself, I bet. So <laughs> let me ask you, did you have, how much time did you have to prepare uh, to train for something like that? Because I would think the training is probably different than you probably were doing before. Oh, yeah, no. Actually, there was no training, because it was like within two months, I was going to be leaving. I mean, that, they were that close. They needed someone to fill those spots. So you had really so no I, training at all when you went to no. Survivor. You just went yeah. right there. What, what island was it? Yeah, it was at the Cook Islands. Uh, over there near New Zealand. It was beautiful, beautiful islands. I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I had no training, no nothing. I mean, yeah, you, when you get there, it's 
basically you're on there, you're, you know, jumping out of a boat and you're off to this boat and trying to, you know, survive. And I mean, it was, it was a great experience in the sense of it made me realize what I'm capable of doing. If there's, you know, the end of the world kind of situation, sure. um, you know, I'm able to like, cook and clean and do things. And, you know, I mean, it was pretty interesting and it really made me appreciate everything I have. So how long were you on the island? I was there 15 days out of the 39 days. So it wasn't so bad. Good. No, yeah, it was, it was, like I said, it was a great, I never thought I'd do it, but it was a great experience. And because of that experience, the 15 minutes I use from that, I do a lot of charity events and raise money for different, different charities. So are you, uh, have you written a book about all this stuff? I'm working on it. I'm in the process of keep getting told, Christina, get your book done. Yeah, um, it's, in it. <laughs> it's in the process. Um, but yeah, no, but I, and then after that, I was on the job a few more years. And then in 2008, I retired. So. So you've lived like three lives, maybe more, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. So what are, you, what are you currently working on and what are you doing right now? Um, well, I'm working for a company right now that does apps, websites, um, and news publications for associations, for police associations, or for anyone for that matter. Is that the um, gentleman you have, told me about earlier yes, today? Yes, Mark D. Cheese with uh, 91 Media, and he also wrote the movie Fallen about right. police officers killed nine duty. Um, he also magazine, American Police Beat Magazine, which is a national police magazine. So I'm part of that. Um, so I'm doing a lot of still, and I'm also working on an app myself that's going to help first responders. So I'm doing a lot of little projects here, you know, trying to um, still have a purpose and still give back um, because I love working on charities and raising money, but I'd rather be the one to have the money to be able to just give the money. Right. So, you, like, you, like to, you like to just uh, cut to the chase. Yes. You know, my thing is life is too short. You can't take money when you die. So no, it's, it's nice to be able to give back to people who don't have what they, what others have. Absolutely. So you've, uh, you've also had uh, an experience where uh, your father had a situation. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So when I was 12 years old, um, back to his anniversary was just yesterday. Um, it was God bless, you. God bless your father, by the way. Um, thank you. God bless um, but it was, uh, the 23rd was my sister's birthday, um, unfortunately. And when she, uh, it was her birthday the night that my father went out, he had come home not feeling well. All of a sudden, my sister, uh, we, we were supposed to take her out to dinner. And next thing you know, my father says he's not feeling well and goes to bed. Well, next thing you know, um, and my sister is upset with him. And then at that point, he gets a phone call in the middle of the night and wakes up. And next thing you know, him and my mom have an argument about it. I guess whatever the situation was, maybe because he said he's leaving. And my mom was probably upset because he wasn't there for my sister's birthday um, to take her out. And next thing you know, he's taking a shower, getting his gun ready and everything now in a suit. And the thing is, let me look, go back. He was a police officer for about 20-something years for Santa Monica also. He retired from high blood pressure. Um, and he also became a private eye. So he worked for like Larry Flint and a bunch of well-known people. How um, long was he uh, with the Santa Monica Police Department? Like 23 years. That's a long career. Yes. So he was a, he was a during the time um, right before he retired. So he was well-known in Santa Monica, well-liked. Um, you know, he was one of those officers that respected everybody as long as he was respected back. Um, I remember when he got killed um, at a funeral, my, um, one of my, I guess, I guess two guys that my dad arrested came up to my mom, who was pregnant at the time. And they told my mom that she doesn't know them. Or they don't know her, um, or the other way around. She, they, she doesn't know them. And that my father arrested them a few times and that, 
to my mom, you know, he was a good man. He was a good police officer. He treated us with respect. Maybe we'll never forget that. And we knew that if we ever ran from him, we we're going to get our butts kicked. But he <laughs> was one of those officers that he respected you as long as you respected him. And that always, you know, sat in my head. I'm like, you know, I want to be one of those officers. I want to make sure that you give everyone a fair chance until they prove you wrong. Um, but when he got killed the night um, for my sister's birthday, well, early, early morning of the next day, he got up, left, went to a bar, then went to another bar. And then at that point, at this other bar, supposedly the owner told the police that my father escorted two drunk guys out of the bar because some security got asked my, my dad, hey, with police mentality, would you help me take these guys out? So, of course, my dad, with the police mentality still, takes these guys out. A car pulls up. Um, two guys get out. One stays near the car. The other one goes inside. And next thing you know, the one guy near the car um, pulls out a gun. So the security guard yells to my father, the guy has a gun. My father has a chance to pull out his gun, shoots one round, the bullet's still in the building that is uh, in front of him. The guy shoots my father in the chest. The guy inside takes off, goes back outside, runs into the car and they both take off. Um, the security guard ran for cover, didn't have bullets in his gun, I find out. And then the two guys that my dad was talking to, the drunk guys, I think one of them gets killed, another one gets And um, point, you know, it's been now 37 years and, it still, to me, hasn't been solved. There's a lot of things going on. I mean, I heard of some confession, but I mean, it's just, there's, there's a lot more to it and I'm trying to investigate further. So I, I, you got kind of cut off. This, what happened to the second guy? Did you say he died also? I'm not sure. Um, I know he was injured, but I don't know what happened to him. So the one guy did die, but there's, yes. there's another guy out there somewhere and you don't know where he's at. Yes. Okay. So there are, hopefully they'll, they'll reopen this case, even though it's closed and have closure for the family, I would think. Yes. Right? Yes. There's definitely a lot involved, and it's kind of unfortunate right now with my department. Um, you know, they're determined at saying it's just closed because of some confession. But you know what? There's there's a lot more to it. So. Well, you know, I, 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 I will pray that that uh, gets reopened and you do have closure. And, you know, I'm sorry that you've had uh, these challenges. And, and uh, your father sounds like he was a wonderful guy. And you're very inspirational, the fact that, You've given your your career and your family has given their career to helping other people. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being so selfless. And I just want you to know we love law enforcement. We, we think the world of all of you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is the end of the Brent Davis Unleashed show on IQ Podcast at Attorney King Studios. Uh, my awesome guest today was Christina Coria, former Santa Monica police officer and survivor from the TV show Survivor and continuing to do wonderful things. Thank you so much for being on my show. I'd like to thank my, also my sponsors, Attorney King, Indian Motorcycle of San Diego, Cosmopolitan, Restaurant and Hotel. And God bless everybody.